All right, so we're going to continue ourselves in this uh, study of the book of 1 Peter. By the way, if 1 Peter is toward the end of the Bible, you might notice. Um, and I hope you've been reading it. If you haven't read it yet, let me encourage you to sit down and just read it. It really takes like a couple of hours. And it's, a, it's, it's um, easy to read, and there's a lot of stuff going on in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written to the church of Jesus Christ. That means that it was after Jesus had been on earth, and... Um, he had uh, died and was raised from the dead. And his disciples uh, start to tell the world about their Savior, Jesus. Now, you see, it's important to realize that because Peter himself was a guy like you and me. And, and he knew his Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, right? And he knew he was, he was doing things that no one else could do. But the, the proclamation that he's the Son of God and the Savior of the world begins with the disciples who followed him because they understand that he did greater things through his death and resurrection than he ever did all the miracles while he was on earth with them. And so Peter becomes this um, fellow who is transformed by the reality of who Jesus is. And if you could sum up our life as a believer in Jesus, that's what it would be, transformed into understanding who Jesus is. Right? I don't know if you found that this morning for yourselves as we were singing worship, but I constantly find myself realizing how I limit my understanding of who Jesus is in my life and what he has done to save me. Like what he has done to be saving me, if that makes sense. Okay? And so um, that's what we've been talking about in 1 Peter. We have two weeks left in 1 Peter, and then we're going to jump into our new series, um, and it's going to be a very practical series about uh, how we are to be Christians, and uh, we're, it's going to be part of our family group studies, and so if you've been looking to get involved in a, a small group ministry, it's going to be a great time because everybody's going to be brand new getting into the groups, um, and so talk to Steve Hampsh or myself if you want to be uh, involved in a group, and we'll talk to you about what the opportunities are. The cool thing is we're going to do the same study on Sunday morning as we do on the weeknights. And uh, it's actually a pre-written curriculum for the first six weeks, and then we're going to kind of go off-road ourselves and you know, kind of journey through Scripture um, together. So it's going to be really, really cool. Twelve weeks, and then that's kind of done. So if you, if you are afraid you might not like it, just sign up and see. Twelve weeks isn't that long of a time, so you can try it out and see what you think of it. It's a great opportunity to grow uh, together and really put feet to the words that we find in Scripture. So the... Um, we're going to continue this morning, though, talking about this kind of, this, this Peter um, who wrote the book and who writes this letter to the churches, and it's only significant because um, Peter becomes this kind of timid follower, right? I mean, he was, he was kind of bold, I guess it's fair to say, and he would step out and do things, and yet he was also one that would kind of turn away from Jesus to this kind of bold proclaimer of the gospel. He's really, really a great preacher of the word of God. He proclaims the, the message well to the world. And... Uh, that's continuing, that continues what we're called to do ourselves. One of the things, as we've journeyed over the last few weeks, you may notice in your life, is any time, and I just want to kind of share this with you to get started today, but any time you start to make a change, and I don't know if it's 2011, you've had some New Year's resolutions that you've been trying to you know, implement yourself, um, or other things that you just decide, I'm going to be different in this way. But I, I just want to share with you this morning as we get into the Word, because I think that First Peter calls us to change our business as usual. I think the letter that Peter writes to the church says, praise God, you know Jesus, now let me show you how he's going to transform you as his follower. And that isn't always a comfortable journey for us to be on. And so I want to kind of share a word with you this morning about how when you start anything new, there's always some naysayer. It seems like they just flock to it, you know, like moths to a light. If you say, I'm going to lose weight, right, there's always someone there to say, you don't want to 
Really? You're not even heavy. You know, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it. Um, or if, you know, there's always, if you're going to say, I'm just going to, you know, enjoy who I am and not worry about my weight. And there'll be someone saying, eh, you might need to lose a few pounds. You know what I mean? They're always around, aren't they? I'll tell you a real significant way I see this. And I don't know if you're like me. And the cool thing about the family group series is we're going to talk about our neighbors through our series. Talk about our, 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 our call as Christians just to be in the community. And the, the funny thing is, and I don't know if you're like me at all, but uh, if you ever want to start a project at your house... If you live out in the country, it doesn't really matter. You just go out and do stuff. But if you live like next to people, have you noticed that when you start a project, it becomes everybody's business? You know what I mean? Uh, a friend of ours here says, um, uh, says he's seen uh, these, he calls them sidewalk superintendents, right, Steve? Um, where they, 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 and they can be good. It can be encouragement, like, oh, that looks great. Oh, that's a good plan. But usually they have some opinions or some advice about what you're doing and how they think you should do it better right? I, I've been that guy before. Why are they doing that? What in the world, you know? Uh, and and the, really, uh, the really, I guess the appointed neighborhood superintendent will be the one who will actually come over to your driveway, even though you've never talked to him, and walk up and say, what are you doing? And you're like, hey, I've never even met you. I'm whatever, you know? You don't want to do it that way. And then you get this, and you're like, oh, man. I want to say that in that same way that people seem to want to uh, interject, I'm convinced that when God begins to change us in our lives, there'll be people who will come out of the woodwork to say, you don't want to do it that way. I, I know what your needs are there, but you know, I, there's a different way to do this whole thing. And they'll become instant experts on what God is calling you to do. And my encouragement for you today is to remember what God is calling you to do and not worry about what others think about what you're doing. Does that make sense? I mean, you really have to, that's why we believe you have to be connected to Jesus as your Messiah and your Lord. You're taking marching orders from him. And not from me, by the way, and not from anybody else here, but from God himself. Listen to him. He's calling you to a better life. And when you start to follow him in that way, there'll be people who are going to come out and say, there's a better way to do that. And you can just go, listen, I'm following the King of Kings right? You can have some confidence in that. I'll share, a, a, the scripture comes to mind for this is, there's lots of them, but the one that comes to mind is, is Nehemiah, building the wall around the people of God. And, and, and everyone's fine with the way the Israelites are until Nehemiah starts to build the wall. And then everyone gets all upset about it. You don't want to do it that way. That, no, no, no. And, and he had this kind of battle of following through with what God's calling him. So if you've been journeying with us for the last few weeks, and we've talked about some hard things and some good things that we should be uh, leaning toward in our following of Jesus, I hope that you're aware that if you're hearing those negative voices, that means God's at work. Does that make sense? I mean, there's always going to be that in your life. So um, praise God. And we're going to get more into the, as we wrap up this book of 1 Peter, more into the truth of how that comes our way as followers of Jesus and how we're to respond uh, to others when they are criticizing the good work God is doing in us. Okay. So as we get into the word today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Always enter in the scripture with prayer because he reveals it to us in our hearts. Father God, we confess that today, that without you, we would have no way of knowing truth, no way of understanding our lives or our purposes or anything else, Father. There's no wisdom of man that can even hold a candle to the brilliance of your revelation. And, and Father, we confess that. And we've tried it our way. We've tried it our way over and over again. And Father, today I pray we would have the courage to try it your way. That we would just be obedient to the simple truth that you're proclaiming in your word today. And that all of our lives might be transformed. 
I pray, Father, that your spirit would dwell in us richly, powerfully, that we could really live out what you're calling us to live out by your power and for your glory. And then I pray, Father, in the same way that your spirit would do battle for us around us so that while the road might be hard, it won't be impossible. And we could continue to grow as your disciples and followers after the things that you care about in this world. We love you so much, and we thank you for the gospel of peace that's come to us. We give you praise and glory for our Savior, Jesus, who has made it possible and also compelled us forward in his word and truth. So we give you praise and glory for him, for his cross, his sacrifice that brings us back to you. We love you and thank you for these things in his name. Amen. So go ahead, if you have a Bible today, you can open it up to 1 Peter. If you don't, you can grab one of ours. We're going to be looking at 841 today. It's uh, 1 Peter 3, and we're going to do what we usually do here. We're going to read through this first and then kind of talk through it together. Um, I'll give you a second to get there. 1 Peter 3.13. By the way, I can't encourage you enough to open the Word of God. Don't just sit there. I mean, you, I guess you can hear it, you know, but it's really important to read it. And God will use it in profound ways if you'll just engage in the conversation with Him this morning, however that looks to you. So I pray you'll be doing that. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 13. Hear the Word of God with me. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Because Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you back to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now also saves you. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuses on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Each one should use whatever gifts he has, give, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And I know that's, we just went through a whole chunk of scripture. We're going to kind of walk through this and talk about some of the things that we see. And uh, this morning, I kind of wanted to get real, like, kind of personal about, because I feel like this, the, the word moves in this, the scripture uh, moves closer and closer into our hearts. And this is one of those weeks, and I don't know about you, but every week this, this has just been, you know, kind of walking me through my life and my response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And t- today, he kind of gets into this really intimate space about what your life will look like in Jesus. And so um, that's why I chose, you know, to kind of have that header this week, is, is my life. Now, I want to be clear that this book is written to believers in Jesus Christ. So, you know, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, um, this may not really make sense for you. And, and I don't think that God intends it to, necessarily. I mean, it'll move you and it'll speak to you, but not in the same way. But for those who are in Jesus, in Christ, uh, this becomes the reality that we can face. And it might even surprise you because Peter is writing to a church that is, it's not all hunky-dory for them. It's not all, you know, gravy, as they say, right? It's not all easy. And so he's writing this letter as a letter of exhortion and encouragement of how they're to live their lives in Christ. And so the first thing that we see here as we just get into it is he asks a rhetorical question. It's at the very end of him, remember he said, talking about submitting to one another, we've gone through all that stuff, how we're to submit to human authority, we, you know, it even says slaves submit to your masters so that they might, you know, see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven, and the same thing for husbands and wives, how in our marriages we're called to submit to each other, the wives to submit to their husbands, the husbands to respect their wives, and this kind of symbiotic relationship that actually brings us to where we want to be if we weren't so stuck in our own ways. And then this week, it follows on. It says, you know, uh, it continues in that same thought. But he starts with a rhetorical question after quoting Isaiah there. He says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, this is one of those things that's called a rhetorical question, right? Because it, it begs you to say, nobody. But I don't know. Like we talked about earlier, I think sometimes we, we set out to do good, and there are people who seek to harm us in that time, right? And so... He kind of asked that, who is to, going to harm you if you're eager to do good? He asked the church. And then he follows up with his answer in 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. The word blessed in the Bible means happy, right? It means that you understand that there's joy in what God is doing in your life. Even not just in the good times, but especially in the bad times. You can celebrate what God is doing through your discipleship. And so he asked that question, who is, who is it that uh, would stand against you if you're eager to do good? But even if you, they do stand against you, you should rejoice because you are blessed. You are blessed in that time. And what this kind of, to me, begins to point to, and we're going to get to it later on, it's our first point today, is that trials will come. In my life in Christ, um, trials will come. And I think that there's a big thing out there that we've somehow gotten trapped into that once we receive Jesus, it's all supposed to be perfect. Now, it is all supposed to be perfect, but God's version of perfect, not yours and mine. See, too often mine and your version looks like 
perfect meaning no more struggle, no more difficulty, no more, you know, whatever it is. I mean, just to kind of, you know, the gravy train, the, everything comes down from heaven and you don't want for anything. That's all true, but not in the way we expect it. Because we have a kind of a malign view of what success looks like. And so we know that as we follow Jesus, trials will come. And that's what he kind of starts talking about here today. By the way, if you, if you don't, if you're like, hmm. I don't know if he's really saying that here. I want you to look ahead with me in, in chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to talk about this next week, but listen to how verse 12 reads. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. That means that Peter's going to lead us this week into this place of understanding that trials aren't even the exception for Christians, but the rule. That if you're following Jesus in a world that doesn't conform to his standards or his ways, you are going to face trials in this life. It's normative, as we would say, for Christians who follow Jesus to face trials. And so uh, he's kind of walking through there. Now, I want to I continue to read this because he, he quotes a couple of things. Where he says, do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. And you know, I was really struck by the word fear there, do not fear because God's at work, right? And we talked before about how hard it is to submit to people. Why is it hard? Because I'm afraid. If I submit to them, they're going to get their way. I'm afraid. If I submit to them, my boss isn't going to do the right thing. I'm afraid if I submit to my wife, she's going to take a mile because I gave her an inch. Listen, the word of God says, lay down your fears and trust that he is sovereign over all those things in your life, over everything. The word of God actually says there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. Isn't that amazing? And Peter here exhorts us, don't be afraid to do these things. And he says, don't fear what they fear, which is some reprisal from each other. Don't be frightened. And then here comes the verse, and this is what we're going to get right into. And he says in verse 15, but rather set your hearts apart for Christ, that's the Messiah, as Lord, that's the Master, you know what I mean? And you can't assume. You know, we've, we've lumped, uh, I've talked to you before about how we've lumped Jesus and Christ together where it's like his first name is Jesus, his last name is Christ, his middle initial is H. Not true, okay? And then we talk about, you know, we say Lord Jesus Christ and all those, but those are all specific things. Jesus was the, uh, I guess you would say, the term of his humanity, his given name. You shall name him Jesus, right? And then the, the Christ is the realization the disciples made that he is not just a rabbi, but the Messiah, the anointed one of God, sent here to do the work of God, which is what Peter's going to talk about in a moment, the long-awaited work of God through Jesus. And then the third thing that we talk about is Lord Jesus Christ is this word Lord. It means master or ruler or authority. And I've told you before, if you're following Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will not stand to be second to any other authority in your life. Does that make sense? And we might say, well, you know, we've just been talking about submitting, so we're supposed to submit to authority. Listen, you submit to authority because you're submitting to God's authority behind it, Jesus Christ. You don't submit for the sake of the authority itself. Because ultimately, we claim that Jesus is our Lord and Master, and to Him we're obedient. So when we talk about those things in our life, about who's in charge or who's in control, we are always going back to our Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of our souls. That's the gospel right there. It has nothing to do with a certain church or a certain organization or a certain country or a certain anything else. I mean, if you read the Word of God as just a human being, listen to what it says. It was written to the humans of the world when he says, go into all 
nations making disciples, right? Not a nation, all nations. He's Lord of, uh, Lord of all things. And so this is what we proclaim about Jesus. Do not um, fear what they fear. Because God is at work. Now, I want to break that down a little bit, and I want to say a few areas that I feel like we really can struggle with this because of what we talked about. And the first is, you know, don't let fear into your marriage. We talked about last week, right, about, about loving each other and submitting to one another and respecting one another. And we talk about those things. Don't let fear in there. Proclaim that as God's sovereign, holy ground. Don't let fear motivate you. Afraid of what he's going to do. Afraid of what she's going to do. Afraid of what the kids are going to do. Don't fear what they fear. Trust God with your marriage. You might find that when you start to try to implement things in your, in your marriage, you say, I'm going to try this. I'm going I'm to try to respect my wife. I'm going to try to submit to my husband. Or I'm going to try to love people. That there's going to be those naysayers around who are going to seek to undo the work of God. Now, they aren't evil people. But believe me, there's an enemy who is, would love to thwart the work of God in your life. Were it possible. And so I want you to be aware of that. If you sense that your marriage is under attack, don't be surprised because trials come when we follow Jesus. If you go and you say, I'm going to do that, I'm going to try that this one time, one thing with my boss, I'm going to try it. And then you try to just, you know, submit, fine. Okay, you know, and you do it and you're obedient and then you actually, you know, still work hard. You don't kind of get that passive aggressive thing going. God will intervene there, but there will be, things will come against it, you know, things will be trying to not let you do that to your life, because this is not the way the world would prefer to function in its brokenness. And then the last thing I want to kind of say is your marriage, your job, and then just the whole world. Don't look for understanding. Don't look to be, to be affirmed by people who don't know Christ as Lord, that, that what you're doing is what, you know, is normative, Right? Because they're not going to affirm a message that they don't believe in their hearts. And so I just can't encourage you enough to don't fear what they fear, as the scripture says here. Rather, set Christ as Lord apart in your hearts. It actually means to give him that position of honor and authority and glory in your life. Set him apart as Lord and follow him. And then it gets into a verse you probably heard before, if you read with me again in verse 15. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And I, I want to stop right there for a moment and just say, it's so funny because I've heard this verse a lot, and I've talked about this verse a lot. And in my mind, it was this. As a believer in Jesus, everything is perfect already, right? And so I'm not, don't make any mistakes. I'm perfect. I kind of, I'm just, it's great, which is not true because, you know, I live with me. I'm a mess. Right? But that's the, the lie we tell ourselves. And then the, the vision for this verse has been, so always have an answer for those who come and ask you for the hope you have. So I'm living so perfectly that someone goes, well, I'll be darned. How do you do that? And you're like, it's Jesus. Ta-da. <laughs> Except that that doesn't make any sense in what Peter just said to us. He said, when your life is hard. And when you're in the battle and you're in the thick of the war and you're trying to work on your marriage and you're trying to be a better employee and, and you're trying to follow Jesus is what he's calling you to do. And in those times when people come to you and they ask, always have a reason for the hope that you have. And that's because you've set Jesus apart as Lord in your heart. See, that, that's a different context for this passage of Scripture. 
We always, always rely upon Jesus for our salvation, our edification, and our growth into his kingdom. Those are churchy words, and I apologize. That means we always depend on him to rescue us, which we were saying about earlier. We always depend on him to fill us up with his spirit, with his word, with knowledge and power. And then we always depend on him to lead us to where he's calling us to go. This, you know, that's what we should be doing as followers of Jesus every day. And every one of you should be doing it. It's not reserved for certain people and certain jobs. Always be prepared. All right, so then we're going to pick up again in verse 18. Here's the reason we set apart Christ as Lord. Here's the reason that we always have an answer. He says in 17, actually, let me back up one. Where are we at? Gentleness and respect. Okay, I'll back up to there. So he says, when you give this answer, always do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So that means when people slander you, it's going to come and just let it come, you know, and, and, and don't respond in turn. Now, here it comes. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In other words, if you're going to suffer, get caught doing good stuff because Christ died for sins, listen, once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you back to God. I mean, if you can't stand there unless someone bring accusations against you as you follow Jesus, you don't understand why he died for you. He died once for all, and it means all time, all sin, all people. He died to bring us back to God. And in this way, we can trust him, even when we don't understand what's happening. We can set him apart and follow him. He died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you back to God. That's powerful, powerful truth from the word of God this morning. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Right? And we, we have this cross up here because we believe it's significant that Jesus would willingly, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, would come here to reveal himself to us and then die on a cross. It's so counterintuitive to what we would think a Savior would do. And when he came and he died, it's going to walk through here the, the experiences of Jesus, and I want you to hear it with me. It says... Um, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now listen, this is going to be a time thing here for God, because we, we don't understand how God really works. I mean, I, it's beyond my understanding, but it says this, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Do you remember what happened in the days of Noah? Do you remember what happened? Anybody? Well, yeah, sure. He's like, I'm just going to, it's like an Etch-a-Sketch. He's like, I'm going to shake it and start again. I need one guy to get in the boat. Who is it going to be? And he found this dude named Noah. And Noah went and got his wife and his sons and was like, hey, let's get all the animals and get out of here, you know, because God's coming. If, if you read through the story of Noah, by the way, I think it's funny that we put this in our children's nurseries. Why do we do that? It's because it's those cute animals, isn't it? They got the little thing, ding, 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 you know. And you go, what's that about, you know? I mean, it's about you want to be like these animals and be saved because everything else is going to get washed away. What? Someone said one time they wanted to do an honest portrayal because they were going to do the Noah paintings in the wall. And so their, their dad was a pastor or whatever. And so he wanted to draw all the people, you know, on the sides and the waves like, ah! 
That's terrible, isn't it? But that's what it says. It says that he was so offended by people not understanding who he is that, that he, he, he wiped out the whole earth. And we put it in our kids' rooms. Isn't that funny? And we make it so cute and safe. It was crazy. Listen to what the word says today. It says, when Jesus died on the cross, he was empowered by the Spirit to go back and proclaim the truth to those who are perished in the flood. Right? Like in the days of Noah, do you see what it says? It says, the patience that God demonstrated. Listen to what it says. The, um, he went back and preached to those in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. One of the funniest things, by the way, is, and, and I'm an old, um, com- I love comedians, right? And some of you guys remember this, but th- there's this guy, Bill Cosby. I know who you know Bill Cosby is, right? Well, you know that guy. But the, um, before he did Jell-O commercials, when he was young, he did these like things called LPs, records. <laughs> Yeah, you remember some of you do. And you would put the needle on there, you listen to him. And he did this one thing about Noah building the ark, and it just cracks me up because he would be like, he'd be like, you know, Noah, and he's like, who is that? You know, it's God, right. That was his big line, wasn't it? You remember that at all? And he's like, I want you to build an ark. And he's like, what's an ark? You know, it's funny stuff. And the, what, what Bill Cosby makes a joke about the whole time is he's building the ark, and these people come up going, what you doing? Building an ark? Why? God said so. Right, you know, I mean, that kind of sidewalk superintendent thing going on, you know, this guy is crazy, you know. Listen, it says that God was demonstrating patience while Noah built the ark. Listen, if you were one of those people who saw the nut down the street building an ark, you're like, he's crazy. And you were dying. He is crazy. And he is being saved. In the same way that God is demonstrating his patience as Jesus proclaims salvation for the world, he went and shared and preached to those in prison who disobeyed long ago while God was waiting patiently while the ark was being built. Only eight people were saved, and all he says, through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that also now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but a pledge, a promise of a clear conscience or a good conscience towards God. We do this thing at Family Bible uh, we, with our babies. We dedicate them and we kind of take that from scripture where Jesus was dedicating the temple. And we say, God, make them a disciple after your own heart. Help us to teach them to, to set apart Christ as Lord. That's what's happening in Blast right now. But when there comes a time where you are ready to lay down your own banner, lay down your own plans, and follow the God who created you, we have something we do called baptism. And what we do, and and it's kind of funny, and I think we really break it out because we have to, but it's beautiful because it's symbolic of what's happening in Christ, this salvation through water. You're not being saved by water, right? You're being saved by the grace and the mercy of God. It's, it's It's a proclamation of a clear conscience. One of the things we ask people to say before we dip them in the pool is, do you confess today that you need Jesus as your Savior? Yes, I do. Do you rely on him and him alone for the salvation of your souls? Yes, we do. Then today we celebrate and baptize you.
Why? Because he has saved you. Not the boat, not the water, not the baptism. Jesus Christ has saved you. And you're doing what Peter talks about here. You're proclaiming your clear conscience before God that in the cross of Christ, all your sins are removed. And in the cross of Christ, you are being renewed, saved, died with him, and raised from the dead. This is new life in Christ. We talk about that. And then he goes on to say this. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was brought back to life, right? Who has now gone to heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers. What's the word say? In submission to him. That means that right now, all the angels, authorities, and powers are in submission to Jesus. He is Lord of lords, king of kings, ruler of all. And this all comes back to the story of Jesus and his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, which Peter witnessed himself. And so he writes these things to us about how we are to follow and be disciples and remember what Jesus did and then submit to him. Now, th- th- we're going to move on here in, the, in Scripture this morning, and we're going to jump into uh, chapter 4, and it says, therefore, and you know, we talked about why the therefores are there, because we want to see what came before. We talked about that. Therefore, because of all those things about Jesus dying and being raised from the dead and your discipleship, your rebirth in Christ, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, what, of suffering, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he's not lived by... Live the rest of his earthly life by his evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And that's our next point: is that God has a purpose for you. Now, I put on there, like I did with the thing above. You know, in my life, God has a purpose for me in Christ. Right? I love to say the thing that you're special, like everybody else. Right? But it's true. You are special, like everybody else. And God has called you, if you know him as Savior and Lord, he has called you to do work in his kingdom. So your job as a follower after his is to figure out what that is. Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to follow you into? Where is it you would have me to go? What is it you would have me to do in obedience? And often, as we've talked about here, before we do any of that, we have to say, what is it that I have to stop doing so you can use me for your glory? What is it, Father? Reveal that in my heart. Empower me to make that change. Because your plans are better than my plans. And I want to want what you want. Right? When I want God to do what I want to do, I want to do what God wants me to do. That's obedience. And so we're going to, so here he talks about how You no longer are a slave to sin. That's what Paul says elsewhere, right? But we are responding to the gospel in our lives. As a result, you do not live the rest of your earthly life by evil human desires, but rather by the will of God. They're like opposites, right? For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. By the way, pagans are like country dwellers. They're people who kind of like, there's something out there, but they're doing their own thing, you know? I don't understand life, but I'm doing my own thing. I'm lord of my own destiny, you know, master of my own ship. 
And this is what he says pagan, those kind of following after our own hearts lead to. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. I want you to see the whole list. Don't get hung up on a word, but look at the list that God has for us of things that he says that will, our hearts will be drawn to if we don't let God you know, guide our wills, if we don't want what God wants for our lives. He even goes on to say, those who are doing these things think it's weird that you don't do them also. And they heap abuse on you because of that. Why don't you do that stuff? We all do it. Everybody does it, man. That's cool. No, because it's not God's plan for us. And that's a road of, that's not an instant thing. That's a road of, of you know, refinement over time. That, that you, will, you will follow Jesus, and, and if you're following him, he's changing you. And there'll be things that you go, well, not that, Lord. That's not a big deal. And, and, and Jesus is like, that ain't what I want for my disciples. I got better things for you than that. I hope we can be honest, at, at least in our prayer life with God, to say, those things don't belong there, do they? Can you, can you help me remove that, Father? I can't get rid of it on my own. That's the discipleship process we talk about in following Jesus. The same flood of dissipation. What a great word there, right? But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, right? Because for this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men uh, in regard to their body, but live according to God in regards to their spirit, right? Because we don't talk about this law, but God is just and merciful at the same time. That's the message of Jesus on the cross. He demands righteousness, yet he is, has great mercy for those who would be listening to him. So I pray that's you and that's me today, that we'd hear his word for us. And uh, so I hope that, you know, and I, I feel like we've kind of short shifted that a little bit, but just, you know, pray about that and um, let's see what God does with it. What, what is the plan or the purpose? Because I don't want to get caught up in that idea of it's a grandiose, it's because God wants to raise me to the top to show, oh, you know, a lot of times if you find yourself, I don't know if you're like me, but if you find yourself and people are, you know, raising you up and stuff, all you see is I got further to fall. I can't, I can't do that, you know. I mean, I don't think that's the way the kingdom works, that God's, you know, not really looking to bring glory to your name. He doesn't really need that. You know, you don't need your name and lights to use you for his kingdom, right? He needs you to be following him and lifting his name and lights. And that's what we really aspire to do. So pray about what God's purpose is for your life. Ask him that question. What would you have me to do? And then, and then listen for an answer. And, and the last thing that Peter talks about in here, he says, uh, it's in verse 17, he says, time is short, you know? There's some urgency to this thing of following Jesus. Not because you won't have all eternity to celebrate with Jesus, you will. But your time on earth is passing, we talked about it before in here, there's a 100% likelihood of death. 100%, right? Did you see a few weeks ago that that, that, that guy was in all the, the commercials and the, um, the magazines? The, who was it? Yeah, that guy, Jack, whatever his last name was. I don't know his name, but I remember him, right? He was like super fit. He was still doing infomercials. He was like 90... Seven or I don't know how old he was really, you know. But but he was and he was like fit as a fiddle. Just eat your juice and you're going to be great. And you know what? And I I'm not saying that was a bad message because he had a great life right up till he died. You know, praise God. But there will come a day when all will be judged according to what they've done. 
That's what the word of God tells us. And so Peter says, time is short. Listen to what he says. The end of all things is near, Peter says. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. If you look back at that list of the human heart, the things that we fall into, right? Debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. If you look at them, the fundamental flaw there is that we aren't clear-minded and self-controlled in our following of Jesus. So he's saying, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-minded. Self-controlled and clear-minded. Now, let me share something with you real quick, okay? I think we're like those folks who are around Noah's Ark. I think we're going, he's taken forever to wrap this up, right? Peter says here 2,000 years ago, the end of all things is near. And I've heard people say this with not even joking around. It ain't coming. There's no end in sight. It's going to be forever. We got all the time in the world. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true. I think that they thought the same thing in the days of Noah. The time is short for us to do our work. And so therefore, be compelled forward with God's timing, but be compelled forward to do what you're called to do while you're here because your days are short. Your time is short. And then the whole, he wraps all this up in the idea, of one simple idea, which is this. If we do these things, we glorify God through our lives, which is our, our purpose here on earth, is to bring glory to the one who made us. I just want to roll through the list here after he says the end of things are near. He says, love each other deeply, right? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's always like this kind of caboose thing happening. Uh, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, I love, by the way, the definition of your giftedness. If you think your gift doesn't matter, this is what God says about the gift that he's given you. And it says every follower of his has received a gift from the Holy Spirit. Each one of you should use the gift you have received to serve others. Why? Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's kind of cool definition of your gift, isn't it? That your gift is a gift of God's grace in one form. And if all of us do these things, if we're obedient to this call to share our gifts with one another, we receive God's grace in all its various forms. It becomes a rich grace environment. Thank God for that model. And then he says, if anyone speaks, speak as one speaking the words of God. If anyone serves, serve with the strength that God provides for you so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus the Christ, to whom is all glory and power due forever. Amen right? And so that, that's kind of the short list of things that we can do. Love deeply, offer hospitality, use your gifts to serve others, speak the words of God to people, and serve in God's strength. So here's the truth. That's a lot. And so I'm going to ask you right now to pray with me that God would make it clear what we're called to do with this. Father God, we have come into your word today and we hear the words from your faithful disciple, Peter, who journeyed with our Lord and Savior Jesus in a very real way. I mean, he saw him in every circumstance. And he, through your power, you know, was compelled to write this word to us that we could be transformed like him into followers after your own heart. And so today we, today we come, Father, and we're saying there's a lot even to love others or even to serve with others with our gifts instead of serving ourselves or even to believe that there's a purpose for our life. Father, we ask today that you would make known in our hearts by the power of your spirit that, that one thing today. 
that we can walk out of here and say, that's the one. That's the one. If you give us power, we can do that. Father, right now we pause that you could show us in our own hearts what you'd have for us. And Father, as we trust you with this, may we take all of our energy and all of our effort and put it toward that end. That we would forsake the ways that we've always called back to and we'd press on towards your kingdom and your purpose. May we know you in a way that's profoundly intimate. May we know you in a way that we could only follow you forward. And may we always proclaim the truth of the gospel of your son and our savior Jesus because by him all these things were possible. So we love you and thank you. We pray these things in his holy name. Amen.